Welcome to Resistance Chronicle. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And today we had on Garen uh, Hesterman, a guest that Eric went after. He uh, he found out about her, told me about her. Um, what did you think? Great. She was running for governor in 2020. Um, didn't win. But I think she is what or was the most qualified candidate to ever run for a New Hampshire office. She's red-pilled as fuck, dude. She's red-pilled. <laughs> she believes in liberty. She believes in, in you know, um, trust uh, trust yourself on, on what you think is right for COVID. I'm trying to elaborate best on how, how to word that. Small but. government. She's, she's not into government regulation and government oversight. Yes. She may have an R after her name, but I, I really believe that when I talk to her, when I look up her information, and we'll link to all her stuff in the show notes, she's got videos out there where she's aware of what Event 201 is. She's aware of what, what um, Crimson Contagion was. She's, she's aware of... of um, a whole slew of other things that I'm drawing a, drawing a blank on right now, but all these things that you would say that, fuck, that person's a conspiracy theorist, yeah. or someone like us is going to say, that person's red-pilled, and they know what the hell's going on. The Act of 1871, we got into that, and how there's two separate constitutions, and three three sovereign nations, corporations, that run it all, man. Right. City, City of London, that's that's your your, your money arm. America, that's... The Vatican. And the Vatican. Yeah. America's your military, and the Vatican, that's your spiritual. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody freaking gets that that belief that there's something something out there after all of all of this. And I, I believe that there is, but I believe that the way that they that it's been pitched to us through, whether it's the King James Version, the Bible, or, or whatever the hell is out there, it's it's just a, a particular spin on it. Well, just like history, control. just yeah. like history. I yeah. Mean, what what really happened in history, we'll never know. We're taught All what what they what they want us to be taught for history. Yep. Um, I think she is the prime example of a rhino, which is a good thing. When yeah. people say rhinos, it's not a bad thing. Right, Republican in name only. Yeah. Then if you're, a, I'm a Republican in name only. If you, I guess if you were going to say anything, because yeah. I would side most of them. But in all reality, I'm a libertarian slash, uh, you know, a volunteerist, and I just want. I mean, that's you who I would be left alone. Yeah, and yeah. they're the closest ones to do that. Yeah. But she's not like a, a Mitt Romney Republican. Your 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 big government, still your big government, and says he's not, but yeah. he does believe in that. Yeah, yeah. Big and you know, paper people's rights, yeah. big corporations, lobbyists, and she's she's more about what's going to help. The small guy yep. in the in the in the in the state, or you know, in a, in her case, the state. Yep. She wants out the small guy, which you don't really get that often. Yep. And these big name Republicans do not care about that, yep. and that's why I say she's a rhino, and I use that as a compliment. That's that's a rhino in like a like a traditionalist, I guess, sort of way. Then yeah, it's I not it's not your, it's not your you know your I guy don't. saying like ah. Oh, you know, the, the the wicked Trump supporter saying, oh, Mitt Romney is a rhino. Yeah. Well, no, he's not. He's a Republican. Yeah, he, I, he is a Republican. I, I never even took any stock into that word, but it's funny that, that I never even knew that it was Republican in name only. I thought it was rhino because they were all about, you know, the Republican Party. And no. They were going to bull charge that. No, R-I-N-O. Yeah. Republican. I mean, you know what she told me? It was that um, Joe Robichaud was on the on oh, podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple weeks ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple Joe, months ago. Uh, yeah, a couple months ago. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we are, we're definitely going to try not to do skip a week. Uh, we had some prior obligations. Yeah. So I don't think it really. If we skip a week, we skip a week. Right now, I think it's, it's a temporary summer, thing right now. Well, it's not just in the <laughs> summer that it's nice. My kids got sports. Yeah. And the fuck faces on the friggin' softball team uh, or in the league thought it'd be good to make practices on a Friday. And that's like the only thing. convenient day for, for families. It's yeah, real convenient. Friday. You know, want to go Friday out. nights, what everybody wants to do. It's <laughs> six, from 6 to like 7.30. So, so yeah, that we, we may skip next week. We may not. I don't know. I really, but next week we don't have any guests lined up, so we can actually do it later. All right. And I don't think we need to bore everybody with this, so enjoy our awesome yeah. intro. <laughs> enjoy, we'll talk about this after. Enjoy our awesome intro. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic duty. The editors of great newspapers, such as yours, owe a common obligation to the people. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. Where are you people? On dope? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. But we have some bad hombres here and we're going to get them out. 
So we're is the sound okay on this? It, it yep. sounds perfect on our end. How are we on your end? You, you sound great to me. Awesome. Okay, good. So welcome so. to Resistance Chronicle, Karen. We appreciate you coming on here. Um, to be quite honest with you, when Eric reached out to you, um, I, I didn't really think that there would be anybody who would be a, a, a Republican running for governor in the state of New Hampshire that would want to come on to our podcast called the Resistance Chronicle. Wondering, you know, what we're talking about. Our second episode was about, you know, MK Ultra, and we dabble into conspiracies a little bit and kind of go all over the place. And, right. And we talk a lot about homesteading and self-sufficiency, especially after the events that happened at the Capitol on, on January 6th. Uh, so thank you very much for, for coming. And oh, happy to do so. Awesome. Yeah. And I think we both believe that live free or die, the slogan in New Hampshire is getting kind of compromised. And uh, a little bit. It's, it's changed into live and, and comply. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, we both found out about you. He actually introduced me to you because he was following the election race pretty closely. I personally didn't think that anyone was going to step up to the plate to, to go head to head with Johnson Unu personally. And, and I, don't, I don't know if he feels the same way, but I know he feels that, that the Sununu family is corrupt. I think they're one of the crime families that kind of that, that kind of run things, you know, if you follow a little bit of his, his, his father and whatnot. So for you to step up to the plate and, and take him on with, with these ridiculous lockdowns that, that he set in place, and his mandates, awesome. You, you're, you're, you're a friend of the show here and, and open invite anytime. Um, Thank you. I guess I'd like to get started with, with just, and, and because I don't know much about you and, and he knows more about you and I, I'm sure our listeners don't know too, too much about you. Um, can you give us a quick bio on, on, on yourself? And how oh, you cer certainly. So I, I grew up in California. Uh, my, my, I'm actually a third generation of J Japanese descent. And, um, and I've got a Polish grandmother in there somewhere, too. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I grew up in Central California, and um, my, my dad would, um, well, my mom put my dad through school so he could become a, a, an accountant. And uh, I was probably the first one in my family to graduate from college. And although it was really sketchy about how I was going to graduate, because I almost flunked out three or four times. But... <laughs> Uh, and then um, I, I met my husband at junior college and we got married and he went into the Air Force. And then we left California, basically traveled all over the United States and different places. And, um, and uh, then we, um, uh, we have four children. All of them were born in the military. Uh, and let's see, we landed... He, he retired from the Air Force and we were looking for a, a place to come back to New England because when we were, uh, one of our first assignments was in New England and we fell in love with the rolling hills and the green grass and so forth. And we'd been stationed up at Plattsburgh, New York, and it was heaven because you had the beach at the lake, you had the... the um, uh, skiing up uh, about a half an hour away and the kids got out of school at, on a Wednesday afternoon so they could go uh, skiing, which was really nice. And then we had uh, Mont Montreal was about an hour away and it was a big city. That was nice. But we wanted a big city that was in the United States as well. And um, let's see what else did was that we were looking for. Those were the three basic things that we fell in love with as far as New England was concerned. And so Plus, coming from California, wasn't it cool that I could drive within a half an hour and get to four different states or three different states? It was really something. Um, and so uh, after he was retired, we, um, we got a job. He, his first job was with uh, Sanders. And uh, then he, he worked through uh, BAE systems. So when we came to New Hampshire, we were looking for basically it was the financial element and the things that uh, sh uh, shifted our, our choice and made us uh, choose New Hampshire. And it wasn't until after I was here for maybe about two or three months, somebody invited me to a gun owner's dinner. And I walked into the um, facility and there was Bob Smith and Judd Gregg and Charlie Bass all in this one community about... 150, there are probably 200, 250 people, and you can have a conversation with them. I, I, that was just unbelievable to me coming from California, really. And um, 
that was my introduction into the understanding of politics in this state and how uh, how much of a volunteer this state was and what a jewel we had as I uh, as I started going into the history of it and and gee, what is an executive council and all of those sorts of things. So uh, I became a big fan of this state because it is it is unique. It's not like any other state in the union uh, where we have volunteers at every level. I mean, even uh, until you get to the governorship and, and the uh, federal offices, people don't get paid a living wage, a quota living wage, if you want to call it that. So they're, they're doing this because they love the state and they want, hopefully they love the state and they want to um, make a difference here. So let me turn this, um, this one thing off. There we go. Uh, so it quit beeping at us. And so um, then I graduated from high uh, from college with a, a, a bachelor's degree in microbiology and a minor in chemistry. Uh, I taught school. Uh, that was my first job um, because I had a choice of either doing lab work or teaching school, but the, the school job got over about a month earlier and my husband was already at training for Air Force. So uh, I wanted to join him as soon as possible. So I took the teaching job instead and ended up teaching um, elementary school, preschool, high school. I, I, you know, I never had a long job because we were moving all the time. And, um, but I did teach at all different levels. So I have a real understanding of education. And then um, when we got here, we still had children at home. And I was looking for the Family Policy Council because I was a big fan of Dr. James Dobson. And they talked about these uh, family policy councils that they had in every state that really kept an eye on the legislation that was going on in the state. So um, I couldn't find one called focus on the family. And they turned around and said, well, there's not one there. So, so, you know, me asking questions and so forth, I finally ended up uh, finding out how you go about starting a family policy council. And in 2000, I ended up um, uh, founding Cornerstone. Um, prior to that, I worked for a law firm. I um, uh, was raising my daughter um, let's see, and just um, getting adjusted to New Hampshire. We, we lived down in Mount Vernon for a while. I ran for uh, state rep down there a couple of times. Uh, and then um, just as time went on, um, after Cornerstone, we decided that, oh, I know David had a temporary job out in, in Washington State. And so I, um, I wanted to go hang out out there and find out what it was all about. So I resigned my position at, at Cornerstone and uh, I was literally sleepless in Seattle in 2010 and got this inkling uh, or nudge or whatever you wanted to call it that I needed to run for governor. And uh, that was when Jack Kimball ran and John Stephen and so I came to New Hampshire on one of our, my home trips and to see what was going on and talk to the di different Republican political uh, analysts. And they all kept saying, no, you don't have the money, you can't run. And I said, but my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants me to run, I'm going to run. So I ran. And I think that the primary purpose for me going there was to make sure that there was a voice for the family. And um, uh, so uh, that was uh, an experience. I ended up running, um, uh, being a, uh, uh, in essence, the campaign manager for Gary Bauer when he ran in 2000. So I learned a lot there. And um, then just um, hanging out and doing the various things that I needed to do. And then a couple of years ago, the mayor called me and said, I need you to run for city council. So I did. And um, one by one vote and watched our election officials do an awesome job of making sure that they were following all of the rules and, and everything was kosher when they uh, when they 
put in their report. So I have nothing but admiration for those people who are doing the election counting and so forth in our, our different towns. I think, you know, we always have a bad apple somewhere, but overall, like they do Wyndham, a wonderful job. They really do work hard at it. And so- um, Like Wyndham being the bad apple? <laughs> no, they're not the bad apple, which is really <laughs> interesting. It's those doggone machines. <laughs> So that that's basically how I got here. And when um, I was, um, it was really funny because I was, uh, I, I'm not on Facebook very often, but I, uh, and um, I guess it was uh, about mid-June or early June, I happened on a, uh, across a um, Facebook post and it said, isn't there anybody in this state, any Republican that will challenge this governor. And I thought, I have nothing to lose. I've done everything I can possibly do. I've, I've you know, I've made my name. Uh, people know my credibility and so forth. And so why not? So I did. And um, it was one of those things where the decision was made within about three days to go ahead and do it. And, and what was really funny was that, um, so COVID had hit by that time, right? Everything was being done outside. And so you had to go sign up outside. And um, so I called a bunch of friends and said, come just let's have a, for a good photo op. And my husband went into the garage and found all of these placards that said Testament for governor. And so it looked like I was totally uh, prepared for all of this. And, and in a way it was, but it was something that was done 10 years before. <laughs> I remember so, what really got my attention to you was when they asked you, like, would you have made a mask mandate? And you said, no, I believe that the people of this state are, can make the right decision to not wear a mask or wear a mask if they like, but choose what they feel is best for their health. And I told him, I'm like, I'm voting for her. Like right after that, I'm like, she got my vote. She's exactly what I want. That's exactly my opinion. That's exactly how it should be. Do what you well, feel it should right. be because, if, you know, there is not one one size fits all. We're not, um, we don't, that just doesn't work. And everybody has different issues that they're dealing with. Everybody has uh, different experiences that they've had. And uh, quite honestly, everyone should be responsible for their own decisions in um, I, my responsibility as a, as a governing official is simply to lay out everything that's, that there is there, the dangers, the, the, um, the, uh, things that you can do to help mitigate it, um, all of those different things. And it's not up to the governor to tell anybody that they're essential or non-essential, essential, uh, you're supposed to be guiding the people and making sure that the infrastructure's there that they need to do business, making sure that our borders are safe and uh, making sure that we have, uh, you know, the various infrastructure to get from point A to point B and making sure that we're dealing fairly with those people that are out, out of state, our, our foreign or um, interstate um, businesses so that, the it's a it's a level playing ground wherever we go so yeah i agree with you yeah i, I don't think anyone can argue with with those points right and and i think every election cycle that comes around when you see the politicians out there talking and they're, they're having their campaign talking points and they're going from place to place whether it's on the local level the national level they all pretty much essentially say the same thing that seems like it's it's something to to get into into office with um, and, and it gets the people hook, line, and sinker. When I was dabbling through your, your, your Googling your name, right, and going through all the content that's out there with, with you involved in it, I popped into your Facebook page of the Karen Testament Show. And I, I couldn't help but, but notice that your thinking and, 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 and what you see as far as how, who runs our government and who is basically the head of the snake we're, we're simpatico right there. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think before people can understand that the mask is, is merely just a symbol to keep the virus in the front of your mind. You, right. I've heard you talk about um, the, the three corporations that run this world. And oh, I, yeah. That, I, was, that was an amazing discovery for me. 
because uh, amazing show you did. But yeah, that that on on Facebook was absolutely unbelievable. And I've known this for a while, but I've never seen anybody who's been running for a public office openly speak about it like you spoke about. And and that was awesome. And I was wondering before we get into like I wanted to talk to you about Wyndham and if you could explain to us what's going on with Wyndham and Dominion and all that. I think before I get into those questions with you, if if we could touch base a little bit on that and, and, and go down that road, and you even started talking about some stuff about occult symbolism and obelisks or obelisks and, and all that, I, I'm really interested to, to hear more about this three corporations that, that runs like the world. The organic constitution versus the constitution we have now, United States. So the oh, yeah. So it was really interesting because I thought I knew American history. I've, I've been a follower of David Barton at Wall Builders and because uh, he has the largest primary source uh, library or did have if he hasn't given it away. At one point he was looking at, at uh, putting it someplace else, but he had the largest um, library of primary source documents from the from the revolution and the founding of this country, and so um, I I thought I really knew history, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to somebody and they're talking about this 1871 act and how uh, our our government basically was um, was bankrupt. And so the Congress and these bankers got together and decided, uh, well, you can go back to um, um, uh, Woodrow Wilson and those uh, people and, and start to put together the fact that uh, at Jekyll Island, we had this, um, d uh, this organization started that is not an, a, a, a government organization. We thought it was called the Federal Reserve, right? And um, so that was part of the of the um, groundwork, so to speak. But 1871 was when the, the Congress and these bankers got together to, to make a deal so that we could get out of bankruptcy as a country. And I don't know what that is that keeps popping up in the back. It's it's totally weird. <laughs> but at any rate. Um, and so uh, what they did was they worked to deal with. Um, the Vatican, which I didn't know was a big powerhouse, right? And um, the city of London is not the um, what we thought of as greater London. It is a small one square mile part of London where the Rothfelds or the Rothschilds uh, live and they govern everything. That's the financial part of things. So the uh, oversight was the Vatican, which was part of the Jes Jesuits. And then um, America was supposed to be their military. And they made this deal, which did not actually take us out of debt, but put us further into the cabal. And um, so from that, we st they, they actually started what, was then the Constitution of the United States, not the Constitution for the United States. And, and so we, we were now under a corporation. They formed this corporation. And the corporation, if you stop and think about it, it made so much more sense because I had a friend who wrote a book about all of the antics that the courts go through all over the United States and how they basically a lot of the judges will come up with a decision that they want. They, this is how I want this ruling to come out. And then they go and they get the research for it, which um, solidified the, the corporation. And so that's how they do the, they made the courts par participate in it. And quite honestly, it, one of the things that, and all of this started to happen probably around the 1850s, if you really go back and start putting pieces together. But in, in the 1850s, uh, it was about the time that they started this precedence in the court system. So, you know, a lie told over and over and over again becomes fact, right? So you have, instead of as previous judges had done, which was go to the law 
the uh, Magna Carta, the Constitution, the Bible, all of the things that made up that our founding fathers used, these people were going on precedence on what a prior judge had had written in their opinion. Well, you don't know if that opinion was accurate or not accurate. And if it's not, then all they do is reinforce it over time. So um, that's how the courts sort of re- enforce the corporations. And gradually, we get we get down to the fact that the states had to be a corporation in order to participate. And your even your local governments have to be part of a corporation in order to, to uh, participate. So what it really did to me, or what I came away with at the end was that if we want to change things, if we want to go back to our um, original constitution and, and the original intent of the founding fathers, then we have to start taking things back at the local level. Mm-hmm. And we have to start understanding uh, who it is that sits in the selectman's office, who's sitting in the library trustees, who all of these people are and really looking at them and holding them accountable. Another thing that we lost in the process too uh, over the years is um, the, um, oh shoot, I'm just going to go right straight out of uh, my mind. The, um, the court system, it, it's, a, it's a general court, but it's one that's headed up by the, um, by um, um, the, oh shoot. Um, he is one, the one person that kn- everybody knows who he is. And then there's 25 local people who sit on it and um, shoot J- Jason Hoyt is the one that wrote the book on it and, and explained it all to me. And it was really fascinating, but we've Eric lost that process. It's the what? Eric's going to Google it. Oh, okay. Um, it's really funny. Uh, at, at, at any rate, um, that is really the people's court. And people are supposed to be able to hold their elected officials accountable, even if you saw saw something that was going on in the library and you said, hey, this is not kosher, something's wrong here, you would be able to go to the um, foreman of of this group of 25. And if he thought that there was evidence there that you could build a case on, then he would call the rest of them to, to, uh, together. And um, uh, we use it in the, in, in the court system all the time now, but it looks like it's supposedly the, uh, the, um, the courts that are in charge, but it's really supposed to be the people that are in charge. And we need to take that back. Um, what is it called? Jason White. The book is called Consent of the Governed. Is that the one, the book? That's, that's his, that's his book. Yes. And, um, is it the Supreme, the the Supreme Court? No, no, it's not the Supreme Court. It's a, it's the, oh shoot. When you, when, uh, a lot of times they'll, the courts will go to them and say, if we get enough evidence and they come back, we are the, I'm sorry. Is it a grand jury? The grand jury. That's it. All right. right. Okay. Good job, Eric. (laughs) All right. We're back. (laughs) But the grand jury is actually supposed to be the people Mm -hmm. holding their elected officials and anybody else in the, in the community uh, accountable. And that's how we had our final voice. Well, the, the judicial system has taken it over. And there's very, very, very few places where uh, people have been able to re, uh, reclaim it but for the people. But that's something that we have to do. And if we're going to get back to the original intent where we, the people, have the greatest amount of liberty, and the liberty means that we've got freedom with responsibility until we get there, uh, we, we need, we really need to do this at the local level. That's why it's so exciting to see people waking up to, gee, everything's falling apart here. What's going on? And more and more of your principled people who have a backbone are starting to step forward and say, 
I got to run for office. And I'm hearing it at the school board level. I'm hearing it at the, at the uh, selectmen and the city council level. Um, these are, uh, this is where we need to get it going so that we can take our community back again. Yeah, the shame, shameful thing here in Salem is it's kind of like a good old boys club. Yeah. Your board of selectmen and, and your school board and, and all, all these local town officials here in Salem. They're all connected. It's, yeah, they're all connected. They're deep roots in Salem. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Well, this is, this, is, this is true throughout New Hampshire, I think. Um, I, I, this is, it's, been, it's been that way because we've sort of left the... Um, left a lot of that responsibility up to somebody else. And we've been pointing the finger and saying, let, let George do it. Yeah. And we're, what we're realizing is, is that we can't let George do it anymore, that we have to do it. If we don't do it, then, uh, you know, the only way for evil to, to um, succeed is for good men to do nothing. And that's exactly why we're, we're, where we are right now is we've been waiting for somebody else to do it rather than really realizing that, at, at the, that particular time, if you see something going wrong, that you have to get involved. How, how would you recommend getting involved? Two, two schmucks like us, yeah. right? We're here in a, in a dining room in Salem, New Hampshire, talking to, to the, the gubernatorial candidate for, for governor here in New Hampshire. What would you recommend for anybody who's looking to get involved on a local level? Where, where to well, start? you can get involved in so many different ways. So one yeah. person talks to one other person, they become two, those two people talk to at least two other people that becomes four or six. And, and, you know, that multiplies and you become a movement after a while. So we have to get people to talk to one another about what it is that they're passionate about. But other, the other thing is, is that if you are listening to something and, and it sparks a, um, an interest in you, then go do your own research. Don't rely on somebody else. Make sure that you're looking for primary source documents if you can and uh, get the best information that you can possibly get and then make your own mind up. But you can now talk to somebody else. You can pick up the phone and you can call. You can write a letter to the uh, editor. You can write a letter to your elected official. You can uh, write a letter or an op-ed if you're somebody that likes to write or uh, in that case. You can call into any radio station You can uh, where there's talk radio going on. You can um, um, volunteer to help. You can make a contribution of some sort uh, to a campaign to NI recommend that you do it to the actual candidate rather than uh, go, depending upon the party to do what they're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, you can get involved in so many ways. You can go down and stuff envelopes. You can lick stamps. You can, uh, you can make phone calls. There's all sorts of ways that you can help somebody else or you can decide, okay, I'm going to go to a, a leadership class or a, um, or a campaign school or whatever, and I'm going to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then or you can go door knocking. I mean, that's something that's very, very helpful, especially for somebody like me, who's running a, a statewide campaign, you can't go to every door in the state of New Hampshire. But if you have a team that goes out period with you, and they knock on doors, and they hand the the person one of your palm cards and says if you want to talk to this person I can arrange for you to make a um, you know to have an actual conversation or if you if you're satisfied just with the literature here it is you know these are things that that um, anybody can do to help it's, it's, it seems like it's a little tougher now to try and get involved in politics or or, or helping out with it because it's such a, a, a division there's an R and there's a D and nobody sees kind of, kind of the in-between and, and we're all kind of on the same playing field and, and going for the same thing. But yeah, we have, we have this, this, this politics, this, this line in, in the sand that for some reason we just can't get past. How, how can we get past this? I mean, even within the parties, you know. Uh, so you've got that critical race theory. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I found out about critical race theory. Cause I was going to do an, uh, a program on it. And, 
So whoever it was that first came up with this and was writing the paper was upset that we as a country now looked at the character of the person rather than the color of their skin. And so they decided that this was wrong, that we had to, we had to know about the person's race. And so we have to divide people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what America was, was ever supposed to be. We were a melting pot. We took people from anywhere who were willing to come here and accept responsibility for their decisions and, and have their dreams and their failures. And, you know, uh, I think it's great. Danzel Washington did a, um, a presentation for a graduating class. And he said, you know what? Uh, Thomas Edison failed a thousand times before he came up with the light bulb, but we only know about the light bulb. Right. So we think he had success from the beginning, but that's not true. M many people have many failures or uh, stumbling blocks along the way. So we have to be willing to um, be uh, have that work ethic to stick there and, and do it. But the, the other part of it is, is we, all of these labels do nothing but divide us. We are Americans. We have American problems. And you may run on one party's platform or the other because that party platform expresses more of who you are. And um, But when you're actually sitting in the office, you're representing all of New Hampshire, you're representing all of Salem, you're representing all of the United States of America, you know, you, and we are at that point, we're not one party or the other, we are New Hampshire's granite staters, we're Americans, ultimately, so we have to, we have to start looking at what is it that draws us in common, and, you know, what, what's the big, um, a challenge in front of us that we need to conquer. Losing our liberty is probably one of the biggest ones. That's right. Right. <laughs> well, right now, yeah. if we don't, if we don't make our choices uh, and we don't get involved and we don't start um, uh, making our voices heard, then we will lose. We'll lose our First Amendment. We'll. We've already. I mean, look at the the censorship that's going on, which is trying yeah. to to shut down and eliminate our voices. Uh, we're not allowed to assemble unless we're six feet apart so that we can't talk to each other. We're not allowed to sing so that we can't have that energy vibration going on. I, uh, we're, uh, we're told that uh, if we uh, gather, we have to put those facial identification inhibitors on. And <laughs> that, but you can scream on a roller coaster at Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, we have to limit how many people can, can gather for Thanksgiving. I mean, really? Are you kidding me? And, and then they teach us all that we need to call the authorities on our neighbor if they are doing something like that. It, yeah. It's just a, it's a and people did it, which is even worse. It's sick intentional division is, is what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Know, and and then you take somewhere. and then you take this this jab that they're trying to give to us now with the side effects that we're starting to observe uh, happening and and they're into full on eugenics and um, and population control. You, you can't, yeah, I, I, I can't begin to not believe that in, in the wake of Event 201, now the SPARS documents that, that we're starting to see circulate around, um, what, what happened with, with the HPV vaccine with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in India, uh, you put all this stuff together. There's, there's, there's no way that, I, I don't know how people aren't seeing it. That, that, I don't know if they're just comfortable not, you know, living with their, their head in the sand like the ostrich and, you know, all this stuff is going on. Is there really a matrix? Are some people plugged in? Are some people unplugged? Do some people know how to plug back in and plug back out? It's, it's just absolutely crazy. Absolutely. It is crazy. And it's very, it was very, very disheartening to see how many minions there were. Yeah. And, uh, and, but they did exactly what Hitler did. He instilled fear in the people. Yep. And that is once you get that fear factor going, it's an emotion that's very hard to overcome. Yep. And so, um, you know, that that's the bigger thing than and of everything. And now uh, with 
what they're finding out about this experimental in, uh, injection. Is that right? That the right injection. word? Yeah, vaccine injection. Yeah, whatever that thing is, that jab, that experimental jab. Yeah. Now that we're finding out some of the side effects of that, it's making the person who's not getting it afraid of the other person. So now we're we're we've got a reverse fear going on. You know, we're going to be wearing masks to prevent us from getting whatever that protein is that it like. Yeah, but, whatever. but you don't even know whether you get that through your skin or whether you get it through the air. And it's, it's really quite fascinating. And the doctors that are uncovering this are still, you know, they're looking at all the evidence that they can find. And so they need people to report to them when, with the, if they've gotten the jab, they need them to report back to them about their experiences. And also if they, they're starting to experience side effects that, um, that they shouldn't be getting. And so, you know, and, and silencing those people who are actually willing to stand up and talk about it, it's absolutely amazing uh, how, and that's our freedom to assemble, our freedom to speech, our freedom to worship, uh, has all gone out the door and, and believe me, they're going to go after our, our second amendment. And in a way, what they've done is dangle the second amendment out here as a, a carrot that we're all so concentrated on. We didn't realize they were taking away our first amendment mm -hmm. or, and it, so this came up to me the other day. If you look at the early papers of um, New Hampshire, you'll find out uh, when you go to the, the papers about the ratification of the Constitution for the United States of America, the uh, John Langdon stood on the steps of, um, of the uh, State House and basically said that, number one, the, the government could not do anything that it was not allowed to do, basically the Tenth Amendment. And it needed to, to abide by section one or article one, section four of the U.S. Constitution, which said that all elections are the matter of this, the state legislators. So this whole thing with um, uh, H.R. one that they're trying to push through Congress right now, where they want to come in and federalize our uh, elections is totally unconstitutional. And the bigger problem is, is that we don't know our constitution to the point where we don't even know that they're amending it and not going through the proper processes to, to amend it. So how do we fix that? Is there a way to fix that? We just have to speak up. We have to, we have to speak up. We have to educate anybody we can possibly educate. There's the uh, uh, committees of safety with uh, Dan Richard, and he has uncovered a lot of the, uh, original intent of our founders and is bringing it forward. So one of the things that Dan figured out was that if you go to the constitution, it basically says in the election portion that all inhabitants, an inhabitant is somebody who actually lives here, owns land here, pays taxes here. And at the beginning of the of the state, it was a male. But you know, now we know that the, uh, they've interjected the word domicile, and then now we're we're toying with the word resident. And the um, in this last election, they passed a law that said basically that you could use any excuse you wanted to get an absentee ballot. Well, that was in violation of the New Hampshire Constitution, which very clearly says that to get an absentee ballot, you either had to be ill and couldn't be there or you had to be out of out of the uh, area, out of your voting area mm -hmm. physically. Those were the only two reasons. And yet the governor signed a law and, and our legislators passed a law that uh, or signed a bill into law, uh, passed it, and it's circumventing the process of amending the constitution. If you wanted to expand that, you really needed to go through a CACR, which is a constitutional amendment. Um, uh, Critical review. Crit um, it's a re resolution. Uh, but anyway, CACR, you really had to do that, get two thirds of the people to vote for it on a ballot. And, and then you could, 
um, you know, then you can amend the Constitution. But they they tried to do it simply because of law. Well, that anything that is repugnant to the Constitution is not enforceable. Well, I now I noticed with Sununu, if you like, he was on Howie Carr the other day. Yeah. And he's saying, oh, New Hampshire's 100 percent open. You don't need a mask. You know, come here. It's free. You know, all this. But then he's on WMUR saying, you know, businesses, I really suggest you wear a mask, you know, enforce masks and all, and all this. It's like I, he just hops on both sides of the fence. He, he just swings with the breeze. And I was wondering, like, all right, if you were a governor, what would your reaction be like for this whole thing? How would you have handled this? What would you have done as governor? Well, I having my biology degree in the background, I would have been very, very skeptical of, of the models that they were putting out in the first place. Uh, and I would have done a lot like Christy Nome did, which you consult with your legal authority. What, what by the Constitution, as the governor, governor of the state, are you able to do? What can you do? What, what should you be doing? How do you protect the people? Well, the, you protect the people by informing them as to what the dangers are. Uh, how do you mitigate it? How do you keep yourself safe? Uh, what actions can you take? And then it's up to them. And there's no reason to close the businesses, for heaven's sakes. You're taking away their livelihood. How can you do that? And um, not only that, the only reason that the liquor stores were kept open was because that was a major source of income for the state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's uh, and, and closing the churches so people can't go and pray about it. Uh, that's taking away your uh, your First Amendment rights as well. So, yeah, I would I have I would have just said, here's the situation they're saying that there's a, a dangerous virus out here. Make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're taking care of your body. This body is a, a, a miracle in so many ways that it can rejuvenate itself. It can uh, repair itself, but you have to be putting the right nutrients in it. You have to be taking care of it, getting plenty of rest, uh, getting pl plenty of fresh air and exercise. You have to be um, uh, treating it well and then using sanitary um, uh, procedures, you know, washing your hands. And um, But they've been washing their hands since the beginning of the Bible. You couldn't go into somebody's house and have a meal unless you washed your hands and your feet, right? So <laughs> nothing new under the sun. It's no doubt in my mind that all this stuff, like, like I had said, is kind of intertwined. There's no coincidences here as to this this virus breaking out in the same time that there's an election and the sky wins wins with with eighty thousand votes um, with with the very po against a very popular you know sitting sitting president. I, I just then the Dominion stuff pops up. Now the Dominion stuff. I want to segue into this. Hit New Hampshire. You hear about Arizona. You hear about um, Pennsylvania. You you hear about Georgia, right? And, and all those are still three pretty hot, hotbed contested areas right now, but also New Hampshire and the sleepy little town of Wyndham, which we could probably roll a rock into, into Wyndham right now from, from where we're sitting. And, and yeah. there's, there's supposed to be some, some big stuff going on in Wyndham. Can you break any of that down? Because I, I haven't followed any of it, to be honest with you. So I'm hoping you can kind of point me in the direction of, of where to go and, 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 and we're going to run with it from there. Because that's something I think that it's important that on this podcast we, we cover a little bit of, you know? Sure. So Wyndham is very interesting because they have um, about 15,000 people there, right? And uh, they had four representatives that were being elected in this next election or in that in the 2020 election. And um, so four Republicans won, four Democrats lost, but the highest um, vote getting Democrat was only short 24 votes from the next from the lowest getting a Republican. So <clears throat> she asked for a recount, which you can do in New Hampshire. Of, um, if especially you can always ask for a recount, but if it's under 1%, the state pays for it rather than you having to, to dole out, out of your pocket. So she asked for a recount. And what they discovered was that all four of the Republicans garnered another 
an additional 300 votes. And she actually lost 100 votes. So that's a huge discrepancy. And then she said, something's wrong here. I'd like to see us get an audit because you can't have another recount. And um, from there, it became, well, the Secretary of State really didn't want to do that. The governor really didn't want to do that. The AG's office really didn't want to do that. And despite people, uh, the uh, officials in Wyndham asking for a, a, an audit, despite the fact that um, now you had citizens asking for the uh, audit, they were ignoring them all. And uh, so David Strang, who is from, not even from Wyndham, actually uh, observed a, an article in the Granite Grok, something about a red state with a blue crown. And he, he looked at that article and then he started to do his own research and discovered that Gene Shaheen got 107% of, of what Biden got which is unheard of because usually it's the, the president or the top of the ticket gets all of the votes, right? And then as you go down the ticket, they, there's fewer and fewer votes because not everybody goes all the way down the ticket when they're, when they're voting. So uh, he thought that was a, a definite anomaly. And he, um, he, he then wrote a, a um, talk to, to Bob Guida, Senator Bob Guida, who's not, again, is not the senator for Wyndham, but um, the Wyndham officials weren't getting anywhere. So somebody went to him and he said, I'll look into it. He called together uh, the different senators from around and said, hey, we need to look into this. And he ended up ca basically carrying the water for it. But he asked uh, Dr. Strang, to write a letter to the attorney general's office to uh, point out these anomalies. And uh, the attorney general's office turned around and said, nah, not interested and don't have enough money. Uh, it's not in our purview. It's not in our jurisdiction. They had every excuse in the world why not to do it. So gradually the, the um, people have been rising up and saying, we have to have an official audit. And that's how it's gotten to the point where it is now. Uh, actually, uh, Senator Guida submitted a, a bill in the Senate and that finally made it through uh, the election law committee, finally voted it out unanimously. The Senate voted it out unanimously and the governor had to sign it. I mean, how do you not sign it at that point? So, um, and, and now we're in the process of that audit and there's a lot of questions going back and forth because uh, the citizens were not happy. They did not feel that the uh, selection of the auditors was, um, was a, um, a fair and balanced um, group that was going to be auditing, but, you know, we have to wait and see what happens. But in my opinion, when you stop and look at it, if you go back to 2005, there was a movie uh, documentary out called Hacking Democracy. And they're calling into question these optic readers. And um, I think it was in the 2010 election, may have been a little bit later, uh, when hair, when uh, Sharon Angle ran against Harry Reid in Nevada. She raised the question about the optical readers. Now, our optical readers are 25 years old. Uh, you talk to anybody and they'll tell you how ancient they are. But um, there was a, a newspaper article out that said that um, the Diebold, D-I-E-B-O-L-D, machines were being... Uh, uh, sold by one John H. Sununu <laughs> to uh, different states. Well, if you look at his his history, he was sec uh, he was uh, chief of staff for H. W. Bush in uh, 93-94. He stepped down someplace in there. So it makes perfect logical sense that he would be going out and looking for a job and, and finding a job and it might uh, selling 
Diebold machines may have been it. I don't know for sure, but that's about the time, 1995, when we supposedly got these optic readers in the state of New Hampshire. So was he part of that? I don't know, but it's something to, to look into. Well, then I, I looked up the AccuVote machines, which is what they call these. And sure enough, behind the AccuVote name is Dominion and Diebold. Mm. Isn't that a coincidence, right? So uh, it, they've been in question as to the accuracy of their, um, their readings and whether or not they could be manipulated for quite some time. And in the state of New Hampshire, someone was wise enough to get us uh, a law that requires that all of our ballots be paper ballots. We need somebody to put in a law that says that all of our ballots will be counted by hand. Mm -hmm. And not that uh, much, if you really think about it, we're not California. No. <laughs> well, and you look at Australia and Great Britain and these other countries where they count their national. They're not. It's not their locals. It's their national elections are counted by hand. Well, if these big countries can do it, there's no reason why we can't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just need to make sure that who's counting them. If we do <laughs> count them by hand, they're not saying, you know, one here, one here, one here, two here, you know. So we well, and, and like I said earlier, though, my observation of our election officials is that they do try very, very hard to, to give an accurate vote. And yes, there, there may be some bad players in it, but there's bad players everywhere. I mean, it's the same thing with the police or, or fire. Or, it doesn't matter what community you're, you're dealing with. There's always going to be a bad apple. But for the most part, these people are trying to do the best that they can. And uh, as long as we give them the proper guidance. And so, um, you know, I think that the attorney general, we're one of six states where the attorney general is a, a political appointment. And I truly believe it because of past behavior of our, our attorney generals that um, they should be elected by the people mm -hmm. to be held accountable by the people rather than having their favoritism go to whoever appointed them. Yeah, didn't Sunir just hire a new one? Yep. And, we'll and I think he just, uh, yeah, he just got a, a, a approved Daniel Will was his uh any background on these people oh yeah there's a lot of background on them yeah. but you know it, yeah, it we'll was do some research to get. It's worth diving into pardon me it's worth the dive into looking into what they're oh yeah it's it's worth the dive looking into it but again these are people that the executive council from what i understand approved it four to one and um uh which is really sad because you've got supposedly people who are supposed to be conscientious and rep representing the people. I mean, it was like they, when they um, uh, approved the attorney general to become the uh, Supreme Court justice, there were probably 30 people who came forward and, and a petition that said, we think this man is questionable to be on the court. And the attorney uh, and the executive council that day did not adjourn. In my opinion, they should have said, hey, we've had all of these people come forward in opposition to this man. And yes, we have all of these that are in favor of him, but they, they, the people in opposition far outweigh the number of people that are in favor of him. We need to, to take a break and look at it and see if there's any validity to it. They didn't take a break. They just went right straight into their vote and, and approved him and basically thumbed their nose at the people of New Hampshire. And that's totally unacceptable. It sounds like something in Massachusetts, not here. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Massachusetts. So what's in the, what's the future have? So just going to ask you, Karen. <laughs> Well, if the thing is, is it's going to take money this time. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate in 30 days. I mean, stop and think about this. So I am, I declared the middle of June, uh, July, August, September, that's three months later, we have an, uh, the primary election. 
uh, we raised close to $50,000 in just three months. Uh, and we had, um, I had volunteers all over the state and, uh, I, and supposedly according to the numbers, I got about 10% of the vote. Well, I that's think that's phenomenal. Pardon I me? think you got screwed. I think you got more votes than what they gave you. A lot of people. A lot of people that I knew that were voting for you. Yeah. And, then like, and I've been told that by a number of people. So, um, but overall, that's pretty doggone good yeah. considering you started from, I, I really wasn't out in the public that much. And then all of a sudden, I here I am. And, um, and we, the people got behind me and we went forward with it. There were signs all over. And uh, so I think that, you know, with the proper funding and so forth and the proper organization, when I'm right now, I'm putting together a plan. Uh, I'm doing what I've always said needs to be done, which is put it down in writing and, um, and then moving forward with it. I think we can do it. And uh, I'm, you know, anybody that wants to make a, a contribution, it's karentesterman.com. And uh, I, I'd welcome any, any contributions at all at this point. I've had a few. I, had, I told somebody that they asked me if I was going to run again. And I said, well, it's going to take money. And he reached into his pocket and handed me a couple of bills. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that, that was pretty cool. So I yeah. really hope you do run again. And I, I definitely want signs this time. Every time you were doing the meet and greet with you, it was like, it was a day, I had, a night I had to work. And I was like, oh, come oh. on, like, just do it on one Saturday. Or it was like, <laughs> I forget what day it was. It was just like, that was the one day I couldn't do. I know, isn't that funny how that happens? Yeah. It, or, or everything in the world is on that day. Yeah. You've got a birthday, you have work, you have some other obligation that you're supposed to be doing. And uh, there's no way you can do it. So, yeah, that happens a lot. But, but I spread yeah. your name around as much as I could. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciated that. Where can people find you? You have KarenTesterman.com, which is your, your, your governor's site. But what else? You, you have plenty of podcasts out there? You have a radio? Well, so I, I was uh, broadcasting out of WSMN in, in Nashua for several years. And I have now stepped aside and I'm doing Right America Media, which okay. is an online. And uh, believe it or not, IT, I love IT, right? Um, the, uh, we've had every challenge that we could possibly have trying to get the, the podcast and, and getting on uh, online on, uh, on this online platform going my, I couldn't get the, the microphone to work. I couldn't get the, uh, or else uh, I just solved it too, was um, the computer fan kept going on and you could hear all of the background noise, which was terrible uh, and very distracting when you're trying to, to talk to anybody. And so uh, I think I finally have all of the things ironed out now. So I'll, I will be on Right America Media on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 12 to 1. And then I am trying to do some podcasts. I'm trying to resurrect some of the more interesting shows I've done over the years. Uh, I've, I've had some fabulous guests and, uh, and then reaching out to find other guests to, to come on the program as well. So you all are welcome at some point if we can work it out uh, to do one with me as well. Definitely. Thank is, you. Is there an archive of these old shows that you have? Uh, where we can it's go supposed to be, it's supposed to be up on uh, a website. I've got chickchatting.com, which yeah. is a website that we've, we've got some programming up on, but I just, okay. it, you know, I need, I need real, what I really, really need is an, uh, an IT person that could help me put all of these things up online and so forth, because that's where we fall down is getting it. You, you get them recorded, everything's good. Yep. And it's just getting it to the next step and getting it on the, on, um, on the line. I did, there are a lot of um, YouTube videos over of my speeches over the years uh, that where I've been at some gathering and talked. And so those are up online at, at Karen Testament. And all, you, you just have to go Google my name and you'll find me. So, so if you have any questions with getting a podcast started or anything, we can 
try to help you any way we can. We somewhat did it. We, we do. <laughs> we, we do it super gorilla style with the with the MacBook computer, a, a little um, adapter to plug some USB mics in, and, and we sit in, in Eric's dining room and turn the lights on, and it looks like we're you know we're about to. Awesome. Maybe yeah. in the background. <laughs> so um, th this was awesome, Karen. I really appreciate you taking the time for us uh, and, and coming on. And when that um, when that campaign train comes through through town here in Salem, we, we want to make sure we, we connect. Okay. We have some some sort of live conversation, and maybe it'll be a, you know during the nice weather. We can do it outside and, and oh, that'd be have, fun. Have a, have a drink and just some some more unscripted conversation. We really appreciate okay. you coming on. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I love, love it when I find I love it when I find politicians and, and people running for office that are into small government and are as red pilled as I am because it's so nice to hear you talk about the Federal Reserve and the three corporations and not everybody sees that. And I think once they understand that, that's when they're gonna figure out this is how we got to where we are right now. And right. now let's do something about it. And you're hundred percent right, it starts at the local level. Amen to that. Right. It'd be great to have you be the leader of that. Well, thank you very much, Eric. And and so, you know, that that's really where it's at is uh, personal involvement. And what we want is we want statesmen. We don't want somebody that's just telling us what they think we need to hear. We want somebody that's going to come in and say, here, uh, what do you think? And how can we work together to make it happen? Yeah, and we need people to buy into that philosophy, too. We need people that, that want, want a leader that's going to make decisions and the right decisions, not people that just want to follow the masses and follow the herd, because that's, you know, what, what the Tavistock Institute has, has programmed us, us to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. Awesome. Right. Thank Karen. you, Karen. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Matt. It was Enjoy great this. to meet both of you. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Have a wonderful weekend. Okay. Thank you. You too. Talk to you soon.